Hello and welcome everyone. It's Chris Marquardt here and uh, yeah, <laughs> rare guest on the show. Um, and with me are the other three. Hello, Imar, how are you doing? Hi, Chris, how are you? <laughs> Long time no here. <laughs> Jeremiah, you here? I am here or there. Uh, here or there, somewhere <laughs> on one of the two coasts. And Aid, how are you? I'm good. It's good to have you back, mate. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's still things are still not a hundred percent where they should be in terms of my internet. It's just it is crazy. Um, but I'm so glad that the three of you did some recordings because because I like this show to be well to be there <laughs> to be to be out we there. Through. We had some fun. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Yeah, podcasting is best when it's a team sport. So yeah, absolutely very true. <laughs> Very true. So yeah, we are back, all the four of us, and uh, we have an episode about um, slow photography. Jeremiah, why don't you yeah. kick this off? I mean, I, I chose this as much um, to kind of remind me of where where it began for me, but certainly about as opposite from my process as humanly possible. Um, though the act of taking a photograph as a practice rather than as something to capture um, an image for some reason, but just to go through the project of appreciation of life, uh, of the world, and and kind of making those connections, something that I thought we would be best to talk about. For you know, one reason is nowadays, as we use our our uh, iPhones, um, automatic focus, uh, automatic aperture controls and speed, etc. And some of the things we've been talking about on the show in terms of kind of AI, um, we get. Uh, further and further away from, I guess, the the real DNA of photographic capture and why we kind of are, you know, I think involved in it at, at the root level. And slowing down to take a picture often is a um, an experience that resonates even in our lives apart from photography. And, you know, to that end, you know, when I talk about slow photography, I really talk about setting um, ourselves up for a process, for example, of going out into the world with the intention of taking possibly one single image. Um, and that one image could be something that we contemplate well before we bring a camera, well before we even know what it is we want to photograph. So if we allow ourselves to kind of walk in the world and observe, for example, I'm sure all of us have a favorite place that we walk. Imar, I know you do from your pictures. I, you know, <laughs> just that, you know, that trail that you may walk on, daily or weekly, mm. and the light changes and the mood changes and the fog changes, and it always mm. is new and refreshing. Um, it could be a very uh, specific way of looking at a street, a person, an object, but really concentrating our, our entire um, focus 
on uh, you know on what it is we want to capture and why and thinking about it and and taking that experience and then really pre-visualizing it in a certain way in our imagination and and then coming back with a camera and and waiting for that light and um mm. and taking that single image and then processing it and then in processing it what does that mean um you know are we developing the you know the film in chemistry or even virtually on our computers um how are we approaching the printing of that if we're we are doing it or laying it out in a book however we approach it doing it in less of a scattergun approach i think can give us uh, more appreciation for the experience of taking photographs and we have to remind ourselves that it's that experience that appreciation that connection to our world um, makes our photography more vivid. And that's kind of my opening salvo. <laughs> I, I want to take this even even earlier in the process because uh, the, the taking of the photo is, I mean, often is just a, a hundredth of a second or shorter. Um, mm. So uh, that reminds me of uh, the longest photo that I've ever taken, which was a six-month exposure. Hmm. So has any one of you tried so solar graphy? I was going to ask is that solography yeah. actually? Uh, <laughs> it is. That, it that is. was uh I I have I ha actually I um I have and I haven't. <laughs> it's the easiest uh, kind of it's photography that you can do. It's so simple. And all you need is a light tight can, like a beer can or a little photo canister that is black. Mm -hmm. And you make it into a pinhole camera by poking a hole in it. And uh, on the opposite of the hole, you put a piece of uh, photo paper, not film, photo paper. And mm. then you just take a piece of gaffer tape and, and, <laughs> and stick it to a tree or to something that doesn't move for six months and yeah, point it towards the side of the sun. good as well for that. What? Okay, li listen, everybody. Can you hear that? Yes. Yeah. That is me tapping on my solar can there we go <laughs> oh, have, you, have you got a solar can i do and i've had it for about six months but i've never used it <laughs> oh, then put it out. it's extremely it slow so should, it doesn't so take I any should, work i'll report you to my friend mm -hmm. sam who builds those then because <laughs> <laughs> no but i was but the, i was going to bring that up actually but, uh, uh, about because chris it's, a, a lot of this started yeah people do this stuff making them but you can actually buy them for those people that are interested in them you can actually buy them there's a friend of mine called sam cornwell who who runs a business called solar can there we go uh, i have it you have it uh, excellent oh, good good man he'll be uh, yeah uh, i shall let him know actually because he'll be pleased to know that one of them has made it that far and and <laughs> unused yet but i have it but the, the the thing the thing about that kind of photography is that almost every day that can is out there i think of it you know it's 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 always <laughs> present in some way and uh and, it, and then it will of course you will see the like like a painting of the sun uh, changing through the course of a half a year mm. and there is no no development involved because the photo paper mm -hmm. is going to in the dark is going to have the the, the latent photo on it visible as, as soon as you pull it out into the light it will start 
fading. But what you can do is you can put this on a on a flatbed scanner in the dark and just scan it, and it uh, it will hold up that long. So you then have a digital copy of your solograph. And again, it doesn't it doesn't take any development, nothing like that. You just put it on a scanner in the dark, scan it, and then you have the actual photo. Well, not the actual photo, but the facsimile of the photo. And that's a very interesting thing because it works. I mean, I've seen people put out 20 little tiny cans, canisters, stuff that uh, to to document the sun, yeah. It, it's great. It's also it's also a great educational thing uh, for children as well. So I, I have, uh, as I say, because I know the guy who runs the company that builds the solar cans. Um, you have I, a plenty I, I of, them. of them. Which I bought and paid full <laughs> price for supporting his business. Um, I, I, I also give that they make great gifts. So I know, uh, I know, actually, this is good timing. It's a good time of year. Coming up for the holiday season, um, a solar can would make a really great gift because it teaches people about uh, imaging and it teaches people about how light affects things. And, um, you know, so if you've got any children or nieces or nephews or grown ups as well, um, even up to Jeremiah's status, you know, <laughs> it teaches kids patience uh, of all things. Mm, yeah um they're, they're, they're fantastic um uh they're they're, they're great things um uh, solography uh, uh pro tip though make sure it's facing south that helps i've seen some people who face them mm. north and got no sun trails at all in six months <laughs> <laughs> it's handy to know <laughs> yes <it's laughs> waiting six months for nothing it's not an encouraging sign for slow photography. So that that is our contribution to the topic. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk a bit about um, Nobuyuki, Nobuyuki Kobayashi, who is, uh, for me, uh, a, a photographer unlike any that I have ever come across. Um, he's a he he makes platinum palladium prints. Uh, all nature-based, shoots an 8 by 10 And his process is very uh, specific. You know, he'll wander into a wooded area, and he'll go there with a little sketch pad, and he'll go day after day, week after week, and, and find the spot, whatever that spot is, that spot that really speaks to him, and he'll sit there and he'll contemplate it and he'll he'll watch the light move he'll watch the weather as it kind of moves in and out um and and he'll make a decision that i want to capture this under these conditions and he'll e e even make little notations about uh possible exposure and then uh when when the the light is uh, approaching his kind of predictive uh he'll trudge in alone with a very large uh eight by ten camera and spend um time setting it up and you know if it's me uh, you know working with my eight by ten it's like oh god i want an assistant <laughs> i want somebody to do this for me I, this is a lot of work for a picture why can't i just pull out my camera and just take a pic but i think the process of actually putting the tripod on solid ground and balancing the the camera and extending the bellows and all of that as a in in a way a spiritual practice uh, is very much in tune with what comes out uh, in terms of his 
imagery. Then he'll spend um, a little bit more time kind of setting it up. He'll take a single piece of film and he'll put it into the, you know, the camera and take the picture. Boom, done. But that's not where it ends. Uh, he'll then go back to his studio, which is in, in the countryside in, in Japan. I think it's out of Kyoto. And, and he'll go, he, he lives near a town that specializes in the kind of handmade washi papers. And he'll, he'll go and work with the paper makers and he'll, he'll buy papers that are um, uh, extremely um, appropriate for his palladium um, uh, process. And then he'll bring those papers back to his studio uh, and he will then dry them for five years. <laughs> five because, years? Uh, yeah, four just doesn't cut it. He has to dry them for five years before they are uh, dry enough, absorbable enough to really, um, uh, really utilize uh, his uh, palladium or platinum um, uh, process. At, at that point, he'll cut the sheets again by hand. And remember, they're very fibrous. So he'll do that. He'll coat the paper, and then he'll finally do a contact print. Uh, and the work is pretty extraordinary. Is it more or less extraordinary than Edward Weston's early work or Wynne Bullock or, you know, all those who've come before us um, in terms of that kind of process? It, it, it's not not for us to really say, but his work really is um, able to be appreciated in, in a way that many other photographers' work is is not. There's this real deep, deep connection to the image that he has, and uh, I'm really kind of blown away by by the process and being able to slow down the process. And possibly there's a lesson just in terms of our kind of hyper speedy lives and all our multitasking um, attributes that we, we kind of hmm. want more and more and more and time speeds up. And as we age, time even speeds up more. So um, this is just a, a more of a life lesson using photography to kind of really slow us down and and appreciate what he's done. I've posted a little, or I will post a little video on, on our show notes um, to just show his process. It's so fantastic. question from my side, is he doing this as a response to our speedy times, to our multitasky times, or is that something that he just has always done? I, I believe it's something he's, he's always done. I think he, well, he, I, I think he began in advertising, so it's not, um, it's not something that, you know, I, I think it was an alternative to the in intensity of, um, of kind of portraits, fashion and ads. So he started work in fine art photography and uh, just as a way of, um, moving away from them. Um, you know, in the article, he, you know, he used uh, Hosokawa paper, which is an amazing paper. There's a, um, there's an amazing paper store here um, in Los Angeles that only imports uh, handmade Japanese papers for all manner of artists and printing, and they carry this. It's pretty amazing. Um, he thinks that his prints will last a thousand years. Hmm. 
it's a, a totally bit... different time scale isn't it from <laughs> from, fl- from flicking up your instagram channel you know it's it, uh, it really it's, is yeah it it, it, it yeah wow that, so I mean, so so from that point of view it has more future than most other photography right now yeah, it's true <laughs> why, yeah. do, why do you say that chris what what makes you say that chris because it'll last a thousand years and uh i i just know from experience that whatever we create right now that's only digital is has a very good chance of not lasting that long yeah, I, I, that's a conversation for another day I, I i i have a different view from that actually but uh well that's maybe a conversation for another day <laughs> well when the emp basically flashes all the electronics in the world all our digital work will be gone in an instant. Well, that that is that that uh, yes, uh, that uh, yeah, that is potentially true. Oh. When 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 the meteor strikes, <laughs> yeah, it's <just laughs> but it, it it's the, the whole slow thing is really interesting for me because it's um, it, it's something that I learned over a period of years when I I switched not not switched but added film photography back into yeah for, from digital. Um, yeah, and it's and and moving, yeah, taking more time and moving more slowly, uh, and you know, but not 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 to the extent that that this fella uh, is doing, because I, I certainly don't dry my prints for for you know four or five years. Um, just it's, the you're paper. Almost talking about just the paper. <laughs> just the paper. You're almost talking about whiskey cycles here, aren't you? But correct. Yeah. yeah. It's it, there is there is definitely even even at, uh, down at down at day to day level. I, one of the things I've found useful in the past is to uh, is to print a bunch of stuff in just just in six by four prints and stick them on the wall for a few weeks or or a month. Um, you know, when you've got a body of work and you might want to be e- editing it down to something more concise, or you've got a you you want to to produce a a, a body of work as a project, but you 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 start off with your your, your big amount of images. Um, it, one of the things I've done in the past is just stick the six by fours on the wall and live with them for a bit. And, Can and I it's ask in living everybody with a question though? Sure. Mm-hmm. Ha- ha- how many uh, of you guys have worked in large format? Well, not I have. large, no, no. I have four by five. Yeah. Emar? So. No, medium is as far as I never worked in large format at all. No. Uh, it would be very interesting. I mean, Adrian, it would be very interesting for you to, you know, maybe you know, just focus on an image that you would normally shoot with any number of your cameras, whether it's, you know, digital or, or film and say, I'm just going to you know, take a picture of my kids with a large format mm. photo. What, what would that mm-hmm. feel like? What would that look like? What, what would the difference be? And Imar, I would love to see your, your work, um, you know, along some of those exquisite Irish countryside paths done in that kind of format. Um, so would I. <laughs> no, it, it changes, it changes yeah. so many it things the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. The whole process. What I love about this is the idea of just leaving the camera behind and actually going out with a sketchbook, which yeah. is, would be totally the opposite to the way you would approach it. You know, that's a nice um, little challenge to set yourself even, just 
go and search the area first and pick what you're going to photograph. I don't do that, you know, I'm very sort of just off the cuff. Just I see it, I do it, you know. Um, totally different I'm, way of working you know, altogether. I'm that way too. I, I, I mm. certainly am that way too. But, you know, I did a show. Uh, the images are on my website. Um, and uh, the show was earlier in the year. It's called Among Stones. And it, it it's a work that I've done in color, which is unusual for me to actually um, show work that I've done in color. Um, but they were, uh, we went to Joshua Tree, a friend of mine and I, we drove out to Joshua Tree, which is an extraordinary um, environment, um, wherein, mm -hmm. you know, these the, the landscape is very specific to California, and those trees don't exist anywhere else in the world, and they're at a very specific elevation, and the light in the desert is particularly interesting, but we drove out. And then I did, uh, I walked around for like 24 hours. No, I brought a, um, at the time I was using a, the Hasselblad uh, XD one, the new new one, which which they had loaned me. Um, and my, my friend Ian had, was working with a four by five. But before we went out, we, we went to all of these environments at different times of day. We looked at the landscape, we studied it, we made notes. Um, and then came back the next day at fair, you know, in the dark, uh, and we had mm -hmm. our, you know, our maps done and, you know, set up the cameras, um, as the light was coming up or even before, just when there was a ribbon of light on the horizon. And then for the next hour, um, I shot six or eight images. That's it. Like, over yeah maybe two hours as the light was coming up mm. and those are the images in the show and uh, they were printed uh by white wall in germany uh and they're massive i mean they're 60 by 50 glass wow. prints they i'm looking exhibited. at them now here um so they're very very big they're very very sharp but printed on uh, glass and then if, yeah and then of course i, I, I yeah. <laughs> the, the colors are something that i you know, applied and I yeah. did a lot of duotone work and painting with them. Mm. But the experience of, of shooting those in, in an extremely methodical way where the image in my head was determined way, you know, at least 24 hours or more before I took the mm. picture really did uh, instill a kind of, I want to say a kind of confidence Mm. Uh, that radiates out of the pic out of the pictures. I'd like to think that that's true. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the response is, though the show did sell out. That's <laughs> so good. Good with that. Well, somebody must have liked it. <laughs> for me, for me, going to the larger formats, um, especially four by five, which is the largest that I shoot, always. I mean, the, the, just just it forces you into a specific way of working and into a, as you said, a very methodical approach because there are so many things that you can mess up when you do it. Mm. Um, I have this little book. I think it's from 1920. A little German book that the title roughly translates to the photographic mistake book. So it's a <laughs> it's a book of all the things you can get wrong when you shoot with back then. Uh, large format was kind of almost the norm. 
next next mm. to uh, 35 millimeters. But it was it's this book that has all these 20 different things that you can uh, mess up, and at least 10 of those are critical. So 10 of those will if you make any of those 10 mistakes you end up with no picture at all so you have to be very methodical very well planned and that of course includes all the all the previsualization and uh, metering the light three times as opposed to one and being very very thorough with what you do and it really is a is a form of almost a form of meditation for me to to do yeah. that because it, it takes me to a totally different kind of space and time and uh then yeah i i often when i do that i have three four shots with me or three four empty pieces of film with me and those are then the photos and and in and normally 90 of those are are keepers because they are so well planned it's it's interesting i think the i i have an equivalent i think I mean, you guys can maybe tell me whether it is, whether you feel it is equivalent, which is that uh, two, two, really, one, one on the getting it wrong side uh, or, or failing to capture the image. Um, for those of you that have shot uh, and our listeners out there who have shot with Bronica cameras, um, mm -hmm. there are any number of delightful little knobs to turn and, and slides to pull out. And there, there are any number of ways a Bronica can stop you from taking a photograph. <laughs> um it can be quite frustrating at times although yeah you it, it, they are cameras you really have to learn but the yeah so there's, so there's an element there which is you know i guess a little light-hearted but but i i think if i try and extrapolate for a minute the the slowing down from from the large formatness of the last few minutes of conversation i think yeah i do plan some uh, some of my images not all of them but uh, there are occasions where i know that there's i have sufficient warning in advance that something's going to happen and i do plan ahead uh and at that point i find it very and maybe not quite like meditation but I, i i love the the problem solving aspect of uh thinking about lighting uh and then you know, arrange it you know setting up lights realizing i've got it got it completely wrong setting them up again a different way and 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 factoring and refactoring um i i think that i it, it's it's more about the uh the the non-camera elements of production for me than it is about the camera but but i i think i can understand and empathize a little bit with the with, with the large format approach i th i think it would be a uh, a good exercise for anyone listening who generally just uses their iphone because what you said adrian is true it's not really about the gear It's about an internal process of of connection of of going out with the determination of taking one image in one environment and what that does to one's aesthetic approach, um, the kind of careful consideration of framing and position of camera, uh, exposure processing, and all the rest of it. But if you went out into the world with whatever camera you had with the idea that you were going to come back with one image and you literally um, enforce that on yourself. You're only going to shutter click once. That's, that's, that, that, that would have been my next question. How how can we... Most people who listen to this right now do not have a large format camera or uh, don't, don't have that kind of a framework around them. So 
Um, the question is, how will, how will you enforce that for yourself? Is that something... I, I, can, I can jump in there because I've got a recent example, actually, that I've done, which I found to be really good fun and interesting and challenging. Um, it's uh, it, it, simply to set yourself an assignment um, with friends, if possible, because then you can all hold each other to account for actually doing something. And and this is not an assignment in the press photography sense of the word. You know, it's, I'm not going out to cover political rallies or anything like that, although you could. Um, the, uh, but we did this recently on the Sunny 16 podcast. We set ourselves an assignment, uh, and it was called, uh, Day Tonight. Um, it was inspired by a lot of these, uh, hyperlapses you get these days where, you know, you're, you're, uh, or, or even the, uh, the blending of images that you get these days, uh, in the digital world where, where you have some of the images is exposed in the daytime and some of it is blended into exposures at night. And we decided we'd, we'd have a go. We'd set ourselves an assignment of doing that, but analog. Uh -huh. uh, and we we all approached it different ways. And some of the listeners to the podcast joined in as well. And we've had some really good conversations about this over the last six weeks or so. But the the, the what I ended up with, uh, because in, in my film photography, I've been focusing very much on instant film this year. So I, I'm looking at the wall now. I've got a triptych of, of square instant prints on uh not prints are they exposures pictures photographs even <laughs> a triptych of, of instant photographs uh on the wall in front of me right now in the room i'm recording in uh where the 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 three exposures were taken maybe 15 minutes apart 20 minutes apart they form a continuous panoramic photo or panoramic image But the exposures are set such that the 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 they you take from the left hand side of the panorama in daytime through to nighttime in the uh, in the right hand side. Now the 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 subject matter there is is I suppose is an, I only only offer it as an example. It's not really the thing. The thing the reason for bringing it up is that the that had to be thought through. I had to be in a, I had to think about what image I wanted to make. I had to find a place to make it i had to arrange to be in that place at the right time i had to uh do some experimenting and test images you know to figure out how the camera was going to work and the exposures and stuff like that um and i have to say i'm really pleased with what i got um i i mean there are three exposures but i'd count it as one image because the intent was to make one image um, uh, and uh, that has been a process, a, a, a slowing down process, a thoughtful process, albeit that I eventually held handheld my camera and pointed it and pressed the shutter button. And then the film came out at the top. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't the, the technical side of it that was slowing down. It was the creative side and the planning side. I think I might make that my pick of the week. Can I can can I make that my pick of the week? Actually, <laughs> you can, not that we're not that I'm attempting to close the show out too quickly because I'm enjoying the conversation. But no, I, I think, think set, setting yourself uh, or, or setting a group of friends uh, an assignment where you have to consider what you're going to produce uh, and make an image and slow yourself down that way. I think that would be my pick of the week. I think that's a good transition to the picks. So I think so too. Let's just do that. So, so that was your pick of the week. Okay. Um, let me see. I have two picks here that I can choose from. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go with a, a photo book that I recently came across. Um, and I guess that Jeremiah might know about it. It's the latest photo book by Jeff Bridges. 
Oh yeah, sure. Jeff is a is a not just an actor, not just a wonderful actor. He's also a photographer, and he shoots um, on set behind the scenes. Wide Lux. With a Wide Lux F8, which is yeah. a Japanese wide-angle panorama camera with a, like a turret design, so the, the 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 turret moves while you expose. And he just released his pictures, Volume Two, which is uh, the follow-up to his first book that he had out. I don't even know over ten years ago, probably. Um, so I get that, and it is. I love it. It's wonderful. It's black and white film. It's uh, it's as grainy as can be. It is uh, just stuff from some movies, colleagues, uh, other actors. Uh, very interesting stuff, not just from a content point of view, but also from from the way the camera shows it and he decides to frame it so um. it, it, his work his work with that camera is awesome um i've been following it for some years and uh, you know he, it's yes it's yes it's interesting because he has movie stars and he's doing behind the scenes shots in movies but but the work is the the work has something beyond that for me as well yes you know, the- it, it has that that artisticness to it the you know uh the, there is there is some artistic merit to it i i, I perceive and and the wide lux cameras um yeah awesome that my in fact uh, elsewhere on the wall in the room that i'm in right now is a photograph of of me and my wife on our wedding day actually and it was taken um by uh one of my good friends who has a wide lux camera and it is absolutely my favorite shot of our wedding it totally captures it mm-hmm. uh, partly because we got married outdoors and and it was a good outdoor shot uh, you yeah, know it show, showed the whole area where we were getting married but um yeah they, they awesome work by jeff bridges amazing cameras um uh, I, i'm told they're quite tricky to look after these days which is a bit of a shame but that whole yeah. sort of you know rotational turret design is 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 something i'm intrigued with yeah, I, I I used to have a camera like that. I, God knows what happened to it. But uh, the other day I was going through my archives just trying to resort everything out. And I stumbled across a whole pile of those wide lock shots. And they were quite magic. They're a little bit different than taking a kind of extreme wide or a, a normal, what we would consider a panorama where we move the camera because the lens actually moves they have, a, they have a temporal aspect to them that other photos some, somehow don't. And Jeff Bridges also yeah. uses, he uses that uh, sometimes. So, so he has an actor on one side of the frame and he kind of stops the turret halfway through and then the actor moves to the other side of the frame and then he continues. So you have like yeah. two different expressions of the same person <laughs> on, the, on a photo with a wiggly line in the middle, which makes it very interesting. When I was very young uh, in the Jurassic period, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, uh, we used to do class photos. And I remember very early on, it's a very faint memory, uh, probably early, early um, grade school, where uh, the photographer would have a camera and he, it, because of the school would be lined up and he would rotate it and then uh, merge them. And there was always one joker <laughs> who would run from it was one you, right? side to the other. <laughs> I wish it was me now, but it wasn't. Um, uh, my pick of the week is uh, on Kobayashi's website and uh, the article uh, about him on Petapixel. There's a video that is well worth watching, uh, really quite... Um, 
it's it's quite uh i th- i think it's so inspiring to to look at his work and apply some if not all of his sensibilities to the work that we do even on a daily basis of just stopping and breathing and connecting with our photography and and i'm really saying this more as a why don't i do this more often uh, than something that I do practice, but I, when I do, the images that come out of that process are very different. I'm not going to say better or worse, but they're different uh, than uh, my normal approach, whether it's on the street or even more formal uh, in nature. And you know, attached to that, I, <laughs> I threw down the solar cam uh, just because, um, and. You know, there is uh, another kind of adjunct to it, which uh, I I did not put on because you just get tons of kind of negative, (laughs) negative feedback about an exquisite eight by 10 camera for those um, of you out there who uh, to whom money is no object. Um, It's called a GP810. And it's uh, made by handmade by Italians, you know. They got to be around nine thousand dollars for the body, but they're literally works of art. Um, so if anybody out there wants to buy all of us a gift for Christmas, yeah, I would. I would gladly take that. Yes, we'd <laughs> share. We share. The Gibellini camera is. Uh, they do make less expensive ones, uh, but you know. Why stop? You know, if you're going to get the best, this is like a Lamborghini of eight by ten cameras. Anyway, we're like looking and lusting over. Actually. You know, yeah. Okay. Last but certainly not least, Imar, what is your pick of the week? And my pick of the week is based on um, Jeremiah's uh, wanting to uh, understand if we can use uh, the iPhone for still photography. So I went and I had a look, and I didn't realize that you could, but you can. So. Um, if you just Google it, I won't even go into it. It's very simple. Um, but you do it with the live photo option and then you convert it afterwards. And oh. it's not the same, but it definitely gives me something new to tinker about with on my crappy phone because I'm totally getting device envy or camera envy. Listening to you lot every week. <laughs> 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 no, no need, Ema. I've got a four-year-old phone, and I've just had a battery put in it, which which I got for thirty pounds instead of a thousand pounds for a new phone. So I'm I'm quite yes. happy with my old there phone. Happy days, happy days. You got all your cameras, so don't even. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I do have those as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair. <laughs> yeah, Chris and I are like more, more, more. Uh, <laughs> more, I know. Yeah, you're unreal. <laughs> Anyway, I I think that's a good close to this episode. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Um, You can, of course, contact us on the usual platforms on Twitter. Uh, We're there, TFOP now, TFOP now. That's also our hashtag if you want to post something that you've done with anything that's a bit futuristic. Uh, please post that under that hashtag. We'll have a look at it. You can also find us on the website, thefutureofphotography.com. That also has the entire back catalog of all our episodes. So uh, next week, we'll go a bit more into the new cycle and look at some interesting stories that have recently piqued our interest. Until then, everyone, take care and bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.
You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Thank you.